0: So Peggy Noonan is a writer for the Wall Street Journal, and she recently wrote about a conversation that she had with a New York businessman. Uh, In this conversation, uh, she said to the New York businessman, so what did you think about the Pope's address to Congress? What did you think about the Pope's address to Congress? Great question. Um, great question. Um, someone asked me a couple of days ago, well, Randy, what did you think of the Pope's address to Congress? And I said, you know, I I didn't see it. Um, and then afterwards I thought, you know, maybe I should. Maybe I should. And so I read the transcript of the address to Congress, and then I thought, wow, that was all right. Okay, that, that was... That was more like a sermon than an address and and I think Congress could use more sermons and so so I uh, not only read the transcript but I actually watched a replay of it, and I was just moved I was moved um, uh it. it it wasn't just a sermon. It was a great sermon. He preached. and he, I mean, he had a big idea, right? We know what big ideas are. We hear them every week. He had a big idea. His big idea was this legislative body exists to help the country grow. That was his big idea. This legislative body exists to help change for the good. Change for the good. And his big idea was supported by four major movements, and each movement was uh, explained by four famous Americans. Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Dorothy Day, Thomas Merton. Americans who changed their world for the good. Uh, You know, instead of this typical secular political diatribe by a head of state, here stood before the legislative body of the world's sole superpower, and there was this humble pastor who preached, this man of God. Um, And then, you know, afterwards, what happened throughout his stay, um, and I'm thinking specifically of when his plane landed, and he was in a motorcade, and he was getting ready to uh, pull away, and as he was driving away, There uh, in the crowds at the very far end, there just behind the little rail was a 10-year-old boy in a wheelchair with cerebral palsy. And he stopped the motorcade and he got out and he just loved on that little guy. And all that little guy could do to express his thanks was smile. And I thought, wow, how refreshing. How refreshing. So Peggy Noonan, says to this high-powered New York businessman, what did you think? And here is what he said, and here is why I mention all this. What did you think? He said, if he lives, he'll change the world. If he lives, he'll change the world. 2,000 years ago, another pastor preached a sermon. This pastor wasn't talking to the legislative body of the world's sole superpower. This pastor preached a sermon. This Jewish rabbi preached a sermon on a hillside to some peasants, peasant crowd. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5 in the New Testament. You'll find that on page 810 of your church Bibles. In Matthew chapter 5 begins what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was teaching, the crowds gathered. He sat down on a mountainside. And the gist of the Sermon on the Mount is here is what a follower of Christ looks like. You know, those who are my Followers live to change the world. So I want your life to change the world. I want your life to change your world, Jesus says. And let's just read a few verses from this famous sermon in Matthew's Gospel Matthew 5 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. You live to change the world. In these verses, Jesus is telling us what his followers look like and he's giving us our identity here. He's telling us who we are, and in telling us who we are, he then tells us what we are to do. These verses concern a missional identity, a missional identity with an outcome. Jesus says in these verses, I want you to change the world for the good of the world and the glory of God. That's our big idea here. I want you to live to change the world for the good of the world and the glory of God. This singular, purposeful, mission, identity God wants us to embrace is one of influence for the good of others and the glory of our heavenly Father. And Jesus uses two very ordinary, everyday agents to get this across. You heard them, right? You are salt. You are light. You are salt. You are light. You are salt. In the first century, it was hard to find anything more important in life than salt. Now, for us, when we want salt, we go to the grocery store and get the navy blue box. But back then... Salt was so valued, so cherished, that it was a form of currency. Uh, You receive a salary. The word salary comes from the Latin salarium. Salarium means salt. That's how people used to get paid. The currency was salt. You could buy stuff with salt. Salt was essential for survival. You see, in Jesus' day, um, there was no refrigeration, no ice, no frigid air, no freeze-dried packaging. There was salt. And salt kept things from going bad. Salt kept things from spoiling. Salt was a preservative. Salt was a disinfectant. Salt killed germs. Salt healed wounds. And yes, salt-flavored foods. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, it's very clear that he's talking about that which was absolutely essential, the essential preservative in this world, without which there would be no world. Jesus says, you know, you keep the world from decaying. And then he clarified himself. He says, you, you and no one else are the very salt of the earth, so tomorrow, at 10 a.m, wherever you're going to be, Jesus shows up. And He's going to look at you in the eye, at your office, in your classroom, in the clinic, in the admin building, at home, in the fire engine, in the police cruiser. And he's going to look you in the eye, and he's going to say, "You." are salt you're salt and you might say no i'm just a freshman i'm just a nurse i'm just in grad school i'm just a truck driver i'm just a sales executive i'm just an accountant i'm just a farmer no jesus says you are salt you are a preservation agent in the lives of others. Your life is meant to preserve your world from going the way of unrefrigerated raw meat. Someone smelled that. You smell that? Unrefrigerated raw meat. Mm. Really? Really. 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 All you have to do is read the front page of any newspaper. All you have to do is read any digital news service. And you'll know. You'll know. This world cannot preserve itself. This world cannot keep itself from moral and spiritual decay. Left alone, this world will go the way of unrefrigerated raw meat. Therefore, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. When we think about it, the reason why we're here today is because at some point in our lives, we rubbed up against someone salty. We're here because of someone else who had a life perspective, an attitude, a way about them, and, and, and we could tell that there was more than just, you know, something religious about them. I mean, they, yeah, they knew facts about God, but it was deeper than that. They knew God. It was personal, and there was a peace and contentment about them, and, and they were anchored, and they were centered, and they had a different, they had a different set of lenses And it was attractive. And you got curious about their life. And you got curious about their conduct. You got curious about their conduct as a single man or a single woman. You got curious about their conduct in parenting. You got curious about their conduct in marriage. There was something extraordinary about them, even though they were just so ordinary. There was extraordinary ordinariness. And over time, they rubbed off on you. And they preserved you. They preserved you. You, you. you were trying to figure out your own identity and you were trying to figure out your own purpose. And so you thought you'd experiment with, you fill in the blank. And they had the courage to say something like, I don't, I'm not sure I'd do that. And that kind of annoyed you, but it made you push the pause button. And then later on you found out they were right. And they preserved you from a catastrophic mistake. They were an agent of God to retard the rot of evil that would have spoiled your life. And you would ask them questions, and sometimes they would be able to give an answer to your questions. But, you know, sometimes you'd ask them questions, and they'd say, I don't know, you know, I don't know. But would you like to sit with me at church Sunday? Or you'd ask them another question, and I'd say, you know what? I don't know, but here's this great worship song on iTunes. Or ask them another question, you say, well, yeah, you know, I don't know. Hey, why don't we go to the Dominican Republic next summer? Take our mind off ourselves, you know? And you kind of got irritated at that, because they couldn't answer all of your questions, but deep down in your heart and You wouldn't tell anybody else this, but deep down in your heart, you secretly said to yourself, I wish I had that much faith. I wish I had that level of peace and contentment and joy in my heart that my friend has in their life. They know why they are here. Salt. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of Lowe's. You are the salt of Home Depot. You are the salt of Parkland. You are the salt of the University of Illinois. You are the salt of Unit 4. You are the salt of Carl. You are the salt of Christy. You are the salt of your bank. You are the salt of your financial institution. You are the salt of your neighborhood. You are the salt of your home. You are the salt. You are salt. And because you're salt, the way you work, your attitude, your ethics, your integrity, your honesty, your humility your skill, your conversation. Because of you, the level is just higher. Because of you, conversations are cleaner. Because of you, others want to excel because you're salt. You are the medicine that heals the disease of depravity in your world. And you may say to yourself, Well, I'm not seeing that much difference. I can't possibly influence my world, but you can. And here's why. Look up here. Salt always changes whatever it touches. Salt always changes whatever it touches. Always. And you may not be able to see the change, but you're making the change. Because salt always changes whatever it touches. And 2,000 years ago, the believers who heard these verses were Jewish people. And they were, they were not legislators, they were commoners. They were at the bottom of the social ladder who lived in a country occupied by the superpower. They were not in the circle of power. They had no lobby. They had to pay taxes with no representation to an emperor whom they would never meet, who ruled them from a city they would never see. And yet, they heard these words, you are salt. And it changed their lives. And eventually the Roman Empire was flavored with Christianity. And by the 4th century, historical fact, Christians in the Roman Empire lived longer than Roman citizens because the Christians were salt. They took care of one another. The impact of Christian mercy was so evident that when the Emperor Julian attempted to restore the ancient paganism of the empire, Julian would prod the pagan priests to, come on, step it up here against these Christian charities. And Julian said this, he said, the Christians are making us look bad. They're not only supporting their own, but they're supporting us. <laughs> and why is that? Well, because our spiritual ancestors knew who they were. You are soul. You live to change the world. You may not see the change you're making, but you're still making it because salt changes whatever it touches. You are the salt of the earth. Now that said, Jesus goes on to say something that it could be confusing so we need to study it a little bit jesus says okay you're the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored well wait a minute i thought salt changes whatever it touches so then how how can salt lose its taste what is that all about well let's unpack it what does lose its taste mean what does it mean to lose your taste and uh, so we need to understand that in the New Testament, the New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek language and the word, the verb "lose your taste." We get our English word "moron." Moron. See where I'm going here? See where Jesus is going? You see? So, but so, but if the salt plays the moron, if The salt plays the fool. How does that happen? Well, yeah, you know, we've taken chemistry. Salt is a stable compound, but salt can become contaminated to the degree that it can lose its ability to do what it was designed to do. And so one archaeologist put it this way the salt of the Dead Sea was often contaminated by other minerals to the extent that the salt could be dissolved out and what remained was a white, powdery substance which looked like salt, but was tasteless. That's what we're talking about. Jesus says, I want you to live to change the world. And that means you need to make contact with your world but when you do, don't ever forget who you are and who they are. Don't ever for- there's salt, and then there's that which is salted. There's you, and then there's them. And you will lose your ability to preserve your world if you let the world influence you. We will lose our ability if we let the world influence us. So you're not by yourself in this. We're together as a community. So the Apostle Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So all things being equal, if you run with bad company, it will corrupt you. It, uh, someone put it this way. It's like putting on a pair of white gloves, picking up mud, and mixing it around in your hand. The mud never gets glovey. Never saw glovey mud in my life. But invariably, the gloves get muddy. And Jesus says, you, you may not play the fool morally. You may not play the fool doctrinally. Or you, you, you're rendered tasteless and, and, and therefore useless. I mean, salt can preserve meat, but what can preserve salt And that's why later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, You can't serve God and stuff. You got to choose. Jesus would later say in the Sermon on the Mount, Your house is either going to be built on the rock or on the sand. You got to choose. Jesus is going to say, You're either a wise or a foolish builder. Choose. Jesus here says, You're either salt or you're asphalt. To be thrown out and trampled underfoot by others. So, so Jesus says, you I mean, you live to change the world. You're salt. You were sent to preserve. And salt always changes whatever it touches. And salt's no good if it's contaminated. Not good for the salt, not good for the salted. But the answer is not withdrawal. The answer, the answer is not, well, let's just stay in the salt shaker. No, 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 no. That's not going to work. What's the answer? The answer is light. Be the salt for the sake of the light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And throughout the Bible, light symbolizes the very presence and reality of God. And so Jesus says in verse 14, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That word set literally means strategically placed. In other words, God has sovereignly and strategically placed and set you where you are, while you are where you are, and he wants you to shine, so light it up. Jesus says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, and what are they to see? Not just your beliefs, not just your thoughts, but your activities, what you do, your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, I want you to go out, I want you to do things, and I want you to do things in such a way that the people in your world will see the things that you do in your life and connect the dots about who God is. I want the quality and the activities of your life to be such that people see who you are and what you do and then come to a conclusion about God, God as your father. And this is the first time in Matthew's gospel that he uses uh, the word father to describe God and it's gonna be a revolutionary change of perspective because God is not just this transcendent uh, uh, sovereign other, he's personal, he's Abba, he's Father, he's Father. I'm thinking about the little town of Canedo, North Carolina. Canedo, North Carolina, population 300, salute. Canedo is about an hour from Raleigh. This little community of 300 is surrounded by farmland. The closest grocery store is 10 miles away, which if you know anything about city planning, uh, you would know that that would make Canedo one of our country's food deserts, okay? So there's farmland all around, but... I mean, fresh produce is not readily available in this under-resourced area. So 12 years ago, Richard Joyner moves to Canedo, North Carolina, to pastor a church. Now, let me just keep it real here for a minute. In my business, some of us preacher types... You know, if God assigned us to a community of 300, we would go something like, (coughs) really? Really? Not Richard. (laughs) Not Richard. Twelve years ago, he came to Canedo, North Carolina. And uh, what happened was, in one year, he had 30 funerals. And most of the funerals were death's because of diabetes in this food desert. This undernourished community was affecting the community's health. So Richard Joyner started a community garden, and he enlisted local children to help him care for it. It became a not-for-profit organization called the Canedo Family Life Center. And today, the Canedo Family Life Center uh, manages... More than 20 plots of land, uh, including one 25 acre site. That's two and a half times our campus here. More than 80 young people helped Richard Joyner plan and plant and harvest nearly 50,000 pounds of fresh food each year. And much of this produce is simply given away to the community residents. And the students also sell some of the food to businesses, including their own brand of honey. So they developed an apiary. They sell this honey to businesses and restaurants, and you can buy it online. And they use the money to raise money uh, for school supplies and scholarships. And, and, and uh, Pastor Joyner also taught the children to learn how to cook the food in a nutritious way and steering their families toward better choices at home. And as a result, the community is reaping the benefits of the Canedo Family Life Center. Emergency room visits have plummeted, and the community as a whole is healthier. And, and uh, this is what he says... Growing food calls us to work together by nourishing plants, you're nourishing community. It's one and the same. You are light, Jesus says. I, I have strategically set you where you are. And listen, if we will embrace this church family... We'll change and the community will change for the community's good and the glory of God. Can you just imagine, just just in the next five days, what if a 1,000 people from our church family embraced our missional identity of lighting our world? What What if for one week, you know, we accept our role? Role as a light for our location. God, what can we do What activities would you like accomplished where you have put me for the good of others and for your glory? What if we did that for one week? And then what if the next Sunday we gathered here to just tell stories stories of preservation, stories of illumination? Stories of life change, stories of forgiveness, stories of redemption, stories of reconciliation, stories of grace. And what if that happened not just for five days, but for 22 and a half years like what our sister Jen told us here? A long obedience in the same direction, walking with the Lord, consistency, left, right, left, right, left, right. Listen to me. Listen to me, you're here because someone once was the light of your location. Someone once said, someone once lived, and the quality of their life focused your direction toward God, and so now it's your turn. Or, as we say it in Celebrate Recovery, The 12th step, having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So light it up. Light it up or it's lights out. Whether you accept it or not, you're the light of the world. Jesus has said this. He's called us by name. He is the emperor. He was emphatic. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the light of the world. We were made for a purpose. And if we punt, if we abdicate, if we ignore that purpose, yes, we'll still have services on Sunday morning. Yes, yes, yes. But you know what? we will live with this gnawing discontentment. We will live with this hollow darkness because we're not fulfilling the purpose for which God has made us. So light it up. Light it up. If someone doesn't hear the gospel from you, they may not hear it. So you better light it up or it's lights out. If you don't speak up at work and give more than lip service to ethics, it's not gonna happen. And it's lights out. If you don't talk to that friend who's about to fall into a, an immoral abyss, no one will, and it's lights out. So you're gonna say something or not? You're gonna step up or not? You're gonna obey Christ or not. The difference is disintegration versus celebration. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's the goal. Jesus wants us to live to change this world from disintegration to celebration. He wants us to live for the good of our world and the glory of God. He says, I want you to live in such a way that this decaying, rotting, dark world, which I love, I love this decaying dark, rotting world. I love this and I have made this world to see God's beauty and I want you to display God's beauty through your beautiful works, your lovely lives, the character of Jesus, the Beatitudes, the fruit of the Spirit. I want the world to see all that you are so that they might worship all that God is. The goal of our Good works is not the goal of our light. Is not so that people can look at the light and say, "Oh, pretty candle." The goal of the light is so that people will look at the light and say, "Awesome God." That's the goal of our light. He wants disintegration to become celebration. God is the goal of your life's beauty, your good works, your kala erga, beautiful works, beautiful works. God is the goal of your vocational calling. God is the goal of your medical practice. God is the goal of your lovely life. God is the goal of your academics. God is the goal of your parenting. God is the goal. He wants disintegration to become celebration. He wants to use us so that this rotting world will gush in gladness over him. That's the word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor uh, who died in Nazi Germany, wrote on these verses decades ago, and this is what he said, We could understand and interpret the Sermon on the Mount in a thousand different ways. Jesus knows only one possibility, surrender and obedience. That's the only way to hear his word. He does not mean this to be discussed as an idea. He just wants us to get on with it. Mm -hmm. So church family, in the name of Christ and for the glory of God and the good of our city, let's get on with it. Amen.